Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers, and we are embarking on, well, not we're not embarking, we have embarked on a series of podcasts that help us look at our homes. We've talked about many things regarding our home already. We've talked about the heart of the home, which is you. We've talked about what a home is and what a home isn't. We've talked about holy ground and the wonderful reminder of what God said to Moses in the book of Exodus. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Now, we live in the desert, and when we first moved here, we bought a house. We're always fixing up houses. That's what David and I love to do. And this house we bought really needed fixing up. There was a hole in the ceiling over the bathtub when we bought it. And I remember saying very shyly to David, I guess that means we probably have to get the roof fixed before we take out that linoleum. And he said, like looking at me like, what are you thinking? Of course we have to do that. And in those days, that's 40, 43 or four years ago, it cost $5,000 to put a new roof on our house. I, I cried through every dollar of it because I thought, I just needed $200 for that. I just needed $100 for that. No, that was, that was, our, that was our budget. That was our house fix budget. But we got rid of the hole. And then we put down ourselves, hand on our hands and knees, something that Arizona is quite popular for, sautillo tile. And it's absolutely perfect for our climate. It is cold all the time, even when it's hot outside. It's porous. You can't hurt it. As a matter of fact, when you try to get it up, it's really hard to take up. But we laid it on our floors, and we're so proud of ourselves. We laid in a good portion of our home, what our home was in those days. And I'll never forget this. I came in the door on a very hot day. I don't know about you. Maybe you take your shoes off. Maybe you don't take your shoes off. But I was so glad to get my shoes off. And I took my shoes off and I put my feet on that sauteo tile. And it was so cool. I can still feel that sensation just telling you that story. And it was in that breath that I thought, this is home. And home is holy ground. I'm taking my shoes off. So maybe you're listening to us these days. And I've said to you a number of times, if you're in a place you can take your shoes off, will you? Because home is a hallowed place. So much can happen. And so often, so many hard and horrible things happen in our homes just because we don't make the time to think about it. Or we're unwilling to surrender ourselves to something that would make it better. So I've been challenging you in a lot of areas, and I'm going to continue to do that, the teacher in me, the challenger in me. But today I want to begin a small little interruption in it, the whole series, by talking about the very rooms, the very places, literally. And today I want to talk about the door and the four walls. Okay, and then I'm going to talk about the entryway and the living room, and then I'm going to talk about the dining room and the kitchen, and then I'm going to talk about the bathroom and the bedroom. And all of these rooms will help you see your home in a different way, I hope. So the door seems like an obvious place to start, doesn't it? The door, we all have one. We have a front door. It's colored or it's shiny or it's a double door or it's the same as the neighbors because all the doors match and they're in the same style of the house. 
whatever it looks like, it is an entrance into the holy ground, into the holy place, into the hallowed ground. Outside can be anyone's territory, but inside is a specific place. It's your place. It's your order. It's your signature. We only see that once we are in. But we come in and we close the door. Now, I don't want you to think I'm telling you you should slam the door and close the door and nobody gets in. I'm just trying to help you see the importance of closing the door. And we are on the inside. We're on the inside. Now, I love going to church. I, I, I would really be a great Catholic like Rose Kennedy, who was the mother of John F. Kennedy, who went to church every day. And some huge Catholic families who live on compounds have had chapels built on their properties so that they could go to church every day. Now, why do I really love church in that respect? I love the beauty of church. When, and when we have traveled in other countries, uh, among the first places I want to go to are churches of all denominations where there are beautiful stained glass windows. One of the things that, one of the reasons why I love art so much is that art found its place in the church. The great painters of the world painted things for the church and turned, turned the plainness of church into beautiful place. A shrine, a shrine, but a shrine is inside, a shrine is an outside. It's sort of a paradox, isn't it? It is inside, the door does not need to open, but it also needs to exclude outside activities that might be assigned worthlessness. Have you thought about that imagery? Have you thought about the door being a place of entrance and also a place of exclusion? The tabernacle that we so often refer to the children of Israel having, they had a tabernacle that was built as they traveled for 40 years. And it had places available to it, some for certain people, some for Gentiles, some for women. There were various places. And there was one place that only the high priest and he was the only one allowed into the Holy of Holies, and only once a year. And with it, he brought a blood offering. And even though he brought the blood offering, and even though he was the priest assigned, and even though he could only go in there once a year, he still wore bells around his ankle and a rope, because the blood offering might not be enough to appease the God for all that he came to atone, literally. But where was this tabernacle? It was in the middle of the camp. Think about that. The tabernacle of God was in the middle of the camp. The people were close around it, all around it. And it was available as they were cooking and cleaning and packing and living their life right there on the camp. It was the tabernacle. They all belonged to God, to the holiness of the Lord. Well, that ship has sailed, and we no longer live in a fully sacred space. The Garden of Eden changed all of that. And so we now go to church. We go to church, wherever church is. We worship, we confess, we study, we do those things in our own 
prayer places at home, and I hope you do have a place. If it's a chair or the corner of a sofa or a basket full of things you drag somewhere, on the Modern Homemakers website, you will find a free resource called a prayer basket, things you might gather and make a basket of so that you can take that prayer basket with you. In my early days of life and marriage, I had a prayer basket. One of my favorite pictures of my prayer basket is under the hammock at the campground. It was easy to take it camping. I just put it in the car, and I had all my things I like to do. So the house can be a visual of closing the door to secularization and protecting and providing a light to, to all who come into it and who live there. I think these days of protests and riots offer us a clear notion about what a closed door of protection really means and how we felt safe or unsafe or how close we were. My husband and I lived within 10 minutes of uh, some severe looting and, and rioting in these last days. And we talked about it. We prayed. We watched a few things on the news. We saw how close they were. We called our friends to remind them how close we were and to pray. And then we talked about the protection of God around us and how grateful we were for this home that we lived in. The doors were locked. We didn't leave the doors wide open. The doors were locked. And what it said is, we are trying, this is our place of protecting ourselves. So we close the door to outsiders, to things that we don't want to get in and harm us or our family. And we open the door to loved ones or pilgrims along the way and say, welcome, welcome, welcome. You are welcome here. Come in. And then we close the door after they get in. In our case, we close the door because the air conditioner is running. Or maybe in your case, the snow is coming down, and then we open the door to go out again. Inside, we offer up ordinary things, necessary things like cool air and food and drinks and bread and playing together and the essence of our home. These ordinary things are necessary things, and they are a part of the shrine of your home, the shrine, the holy ground, the hallowed place where you live. I'm not talking cosmetic beauty. Oh, I do talk about the cathedrals and the stained glass windows. I really, really wish I had a big stained glass window I could look up at during my prayer time, but I don't. I'm not talking about cosmetic or tangible, although I think fine art is lovely, and I think technology is lovely, and I'm glad to have these things in my home. But the eating, the drinking, the working, the playing, uh, worshiping of God together— happens as you enter in through the door of the house that you've made. And then when you enter in, you enter in, as my friend in Seattle did, into a small place with four walls. Hers was a small place. It was a two-car garage. But wherever you enter in, it is a place with four walls. And they keep the outsiders from coming in, or they keep or protect ourselves from anyone who might try to harm us. Kids who put up a blanket in the middle of a shared bedroom to keep the other one out. It happened one night, an old, old Clark Gable film 
where they are not married and they are in a hotel room of necessity and he puts up a cord and takes the blanket off the bed to make her sure that he's not coming over to her side of the bed. Sometimes they can be places that we hide from one another instead of being open with one another. The tabernacle had nothing more than curtains and animal skins in the middle of the campment where the children of Israel lived. It was set apart, one room from another, but it was not four walls you couldn't see through, hear through. The intent was just portioning off spaces for difference of use. So we don't build walls in our home from one another. I often say a piece of furniture. Now that will build a wall. But I can often tell you that I say to you many times, buy a piece of furniture that will fit in any room in your house. Well, a bed doesn't work that way. A kitchen sink doesn't work that way. Or a bathtub doesn't work that way. You can turn a hallway into a lot of things, but you can't turn a hallway into a bathroom. And so is your home a place where the walls don't mean you can't use it for anything? The walls don't mean that you're divided from one another. The walls mean that they are part of the forming of what's going on in your holy ground. You and your husband, if you are married, are the priests of this holy ground in this shrine or this tabernacle where you live. You make it holy by doing what you do differently in various rooms of the house. Again, in Jewish life, what went on in the tabernacle and its various rooms was very different than the Amorites or the Hittites or the Haggites. They worshipped many gods, and the things they did in their rooms were very different than what those who followed the one true living God. We owe our life to one another. We owe our life to one another. Moms, while your infants are sucking the life out of you, you think sometime, will they ever grow up and be grateful? Yes, you gave your life. We give our life to one another. My parents gave their life to me. My mother, who carried me in her womb at 14 years old and fed me with her own body for nine months, took care of me as an infant, she gave her own body. Tom Howard calls these the laying down sacrifices and surrenders and getting up in the night. Getting up in the night. We get up in the night with our children, don't we? One of my not-so-favorite stories about myself is a story about my own only child daughter who was four years old who got up and came to my side of the bed and shook me and said, Mommy, I'm hot. And I said, Well, go get a drink. She came back a few minutes later, Mommy, I'm really hot. And I said, get a cloth and put it on your forehead. Literally, did you hear what I just said to you? I don't even know why I tell that story, except I have such a grin over it. I was so interested in my own sleep. I did not want to get up and take care of that child. The third time she came in, she had 102 temperature. Not proud of that story. But it is a part of reminding you that we lay down our lives for each other for each other. And we do that in various ways. We lay down our lives for our husbands. I, I know you know the anatomy of a body, but men come into us. We lay down our lives. Children live in our womb. 
we are laying down our lives. We give our uh, space to them. Now, we should have some boundary of that space, and the four walls often presents us with an opportunity for making the boundaries of what happens in our home. Did you ever say that to your children? Not what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas, but what happens at the Otto household stays in the Otto household. These are very important things. It is a bond that binds you together and helps you as a family. They're not shackles and chains. It's not a prison with four walls. It's a place for bonding. Rather, with a bond of love, we lovers are free and flying about to give our love to others. And no matter what kind of love you're talking about, whether that's romantic love or maternal love or paternal love or phileo love or the bond that ties us to someone we love in the form of liberty to us, all of these are laying down our lives. There are many forms of love found in a home with a door and four walls as small as my friend's two-car garage in Seattle or as big as my friend's 10,000 square feet where you could have 500 people. But we have love found in home. The love of parents for each other is one form. The love of mother for a son, another form. The love of mother to a daughter and sibling to sibling. There are dozens of varieties of this kind of love that forms within our home. Love sets them free from protecting and jockeying by saying, I'm the oldest, I'm the best, I'm your favorite. I give more than you do, a husband says to a wife or a wife says to a husband not in this kind of hallowed ground home. We are all set to give ourselves to one another. Elizabeth Elliot, who we will celebrate the fifth year of her death with a small memorial show in a few weeks, always said, every diaper you change, every dish you wash, is doing it unto God. Remember what he says. When did I bathe you? When did I? And Jesus replies and says, As you did it to the least, you did it to me. The forms of love in a family, in a home that has an open door, and four walls to protect what that family's design is, uniquely from any other family, is a place where love lives. And the love we do, we show on to each other, but it is a gift to God. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of laying down your life for the members in your family.